Well, good morning. Uh, we have been gone a while. Uh, those of you that know, Laura and I have been gone on vacation, and uh, we spent time at uh, in Yellowstone National Park for a good portion of that, which means I have been in the mountains for a week. And for me, it just it's hard to get better than that. It is awesome. Uh, but you know what it was interesting, and the thought that I just had, and some of the emotion that I just had, just in these last couple of minutes, even as Laura was praying, is even though I came from probably one of the most important and most powerful places for me, which is the mountains, there is truly nothing that compares to coming back and being able to worship with the body of Christ together. I am truly, like as much as I am moved by the mountains, I, uh, I was not moved as much as I am just even right now. And so I'm excited to be with you guys. I really am. It was enjoyable to be on vacation and spend time in the mountains and, and camp. For me, camping is awesome. And my wife even enjoyed it this time. Uh, so miracles still happen and, and it's awesome. Um, no, but in all seriousness, we are glad to be back. Uh, before I get into the message this morning, uh, I did want to tag off of what Laura said. Um, next week is Northridge Fest and we're going to have a blast. We're just going to pack this place out. We're going to have a blast. We're going to have two great services, and then we're going to go out, and we're going to jump, and you guys get to dunk me in the water. I don't know if I'm excited about that, but whatever. Uh, but we're going to do that, uh, and so I'm excited. But let me just tell you that three weeks from now is really when things happen, when we get to baptize people. I, I, seriously, if you've never been here for that, or if you've never been baptized, let me encourage you to consider it. Um, and, and the deadline's coming up. It's like, I think it's Tuesday. Uh, the, we put September 4th. So the deadline's coming up because we have a lot of planning that goes into it. A lot of stuff has to happen for this Sunday uh, on September 22nd. But let me just encourage you a couple of things. One, if you've never been baptized and you've given your life to Christ, let me just encourage you to, to jump in and, and, and do that. And, and this has to be between you and God. This is not because I encourage you to do it. This is between you and God. But just, uh, I know it's a scary thing for a lot of people. In fact, I get a lot of people, they, they, they talk to me and they're scared to death. And they're like, I think God wants me to do this, but I, I'm, I'm scared. I don't, even, I, don't know, I don't even know if I want to do this, but I feel like I should. And, and that's okay. And so let me just encourage you, if you've never gotten baptized, but you are a follower of Christ, this is your next step. This, Jesus commands us to do this. And if you're kind of sitting there, I'm guessing there's a lot of us in here. That, it might even, might even be most of us in here. You've never been baptized and you're kind of scared to do it. Let me just encourage you. If you are wondering about it and you just have questions about it and you're worried about it, send us an email or contact us and just say, hey, I have questions. I just want to talk about it. We're not going to force you. Like, it's not one of those things where you send us an email and say, hey, I'm thinking about getting baptized. Okay, you're in. And we dunk you, right? Don't worry about that. We're not going to force you. We're not, we never force anybody. This is between you and God. But if you have questions about it, contact us. And we're willing to talk about it. And we're one of the safest people to talk to. Like, it's easy. All right? So I just consider that. And baptism is coming up on September 22nd, so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, those of you who are already have chosen to get baptized, I'm excited. Because uh, you're going to go public in your faith. And you're going to show everybody that you love Jesus. And that's going to be awesome. Um, so now let's get into it. And uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, I, I got to meet a couple of you, but I haven't met all of you yet. Thanks for joining us on Labor Day weekend. That's pretty awesome. Um, but we want you to know, seriously, uh, those of us that are here for the first time and those of us that have been here for over 100 or 200 or 300 times, this is a safe place for you to honestly seek God. 
to honestly ask real questions about who God is. And by the way, even all the way, there, there are people who have been following Christ for their whole life, and there are some people in here who maybe you're here and you'd say, I'm not even sure if I believe in Jesus. I'm not even sure if I believe in God or the Bible. I'm telling you it's a safe place. If you have questions about that, we look forward to answering those. And when we don't know the answer, and there will be plenty of those, we'll just admit it and tell you, let's find out the answer together. And so we're glad that you're here. Well, uh, I want to start by showing you this. Everybody knows what this is. You can't, maybe not able to see it very well, but this is very simply a quarter, all right? It's a coin. And we have a phrase that goes along with coins. And the phrase is, kind of goes like this. There are two sides to every coin. Have you heard that phrase? There's two sides to every coin. And what we usually mean, now that, that phrase could mean a lot of different things, but a lot of times what we mean by that phrase is that when you're looking at a situation or a topic, there are two ways to see it, right? There's two sides to every coin, we say. There's two sides of the same topic, of the same thing. Well, the reason I bring that up is because today is, to be honest, a difficult topic. It's a topic that we don't like to talk about. And I'm not going to give you what the topic is yet. It's not really a controversial topic. That's not why it's kind of like some of you are like, oh, no, what are we talking about today? Right? Are we going to have the talk? Right? No, we're not. Right? But this topic today, we have some very intense feelings and opinions because this topic today is very personal. And so my guess is, as we go through this topic today, you're going to think of this topic from one side of a coin or the other very largely. You're going to see this through your own lens, your own filter very, very strongly. And so I want to encourage you to do something today. Because this is going to be very personal, I want to encourage you to look at this as much as you possibly can. It's going to be hard to do it from both sides of the coin. To try to see it from the, a different perspective than maybe how you normally view this particular topic. All right, so that's the challenge, and I'm sure you guys are like, oh man, here we go, I'm ready. What is this going to be? It's not that intense, probably, is what you think. But let me start with a story. This story is about a young man who had a pretty difficult start to life. This young man, he started out, and the first reality was that he did not speak until he was four years old. Imagine having a child and there's no physical limitations or anything else that you can see that would cause them not to speak for, uh, for, uh, until they were four years old, but he does not speak for whatever reason until he's four years old. And as a result of that, not by his choice, but by other people's choices, they begin to label him as stupid, as dumb, because he wouldn't speak until after he was four years old. And so he was labeled with this, and this label continued with him throughout a lot of his early life. As he went through school, he kind of struggled, and people labeled him as dumb. Well, he managed to get through school, and he eventually even got to college, but he had to take an entrance exam where he lived, in the country that he lived, and he had to take an entrance exam to get into this particular university. And when he took that entrance exam, he failed miserably. And so his dream of going to this university failed. And so he, he was dismayed, but he decided to work a little bit harder throughout that year. And then the next year, he decided to go back and take the same entrance exam to the same university. And wouldn't you know it, he barely passed, just made it. And so he was able to go to university, but he struggled. 
all the way through with every class, almost every class. He struggled. There's a couple classes he did okay in, but for the most part, he just struggled in his schooling. But he barely managed to graduate, and he finally made it. Now, what's interesting is this young man that I've told you, you don't know who he is yet. I'm going to tell you in just a minute. But this young man, he has known a little bit for some of his failures, a whole bunch of failures that I just told you. He's known a little bit for that. But to be honest, this person is very well known, worldwide famous, not for his failures, but for his accomplishments. You know who this person is? This person is Albert Einstein. Yeah, you wouldn't guess that, would you? Albert Einstein, Some of the, one of the guys that we consider to be one of the smartest guys who have ever lived. Albert Einstein knew failure. And the reason I bring up his story today is because today we have the awesome opportunity on Labor Day weekend of all times to talk about failure. Aren't you excited? Albert Einstein was one that was very privy to failure in his life. Maybe more failure than success, to be honest. But today, I want to wrap up our series. We've been in this series called Hidden Heroes for several weeks now. And Pastor Chris did a phenomenal job the last two weeks of bringing us two other hidden heroes the last couple weeks while we were gone. But I want to wrap up this series. We're going to start a brand new series next week. But this, this day, we're going to wrap up the series, Hidden Heroes, and we're going to talk about failures. And we're going to talk about another hidden hero that, to be honest, very few people have ever heard of him out of God's word, out of the Bible. And the reason is because, to be honest, there's only a handful of verses that are written about him where we even hear his name. We just don't know hardly anything about this guy. And so today we're going to focus on this guy because he's a hidden hero, because he's a failure, <laughs> but because there's something a little bit more to it than that. And this guy's name is John Mark. Isn't that cool? He has two names. Depending on where you find his name in the Bible, sometimes he's called John, sometimes he's called Mark, sometimes he's called John Mark. Just, he's cooler than I am, that's why. I think he has two names. But his name is, he is known as John or Mark or John Mark. And I want to just kind of set up the story. Where we're going to start with his story is we're going to start with his failure. We're going to start by learning about what his big mistake, his big failure was. Uh, and so let me set up the context. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Barnabas have just been commissioned, have just been prayed for and get, are getting ready to be sent out from their local church to go be missionaries and go share the good news of Jesus to the rest of the world. Well, they're going to take some people with them and one of the guys that they choose and ask to make a promise, to make a commitment to go with them is this guy named John Mark. And so John Mark agrees, oh yeah, I'm, I, I think God wants me to be a missionary. He, I think he wants me to go with you. And so he makes this promise, this commitment in front of God, in front of the church, in front of these guys that he's going to go with, that I'm going to go with you and we're going to reach the, the, the world for Christ. So they leave. And about a third or maybe half of the way into their missionary journey, I want to read what happens. Acts chapter 13, starting with verse 13. Paul and his companions then left for Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. That's all that it says about John Mark, at least at this moment. Now, I read that and you say, okay, so John Mark left them. How's that a big, 
huge failure. Well, it probably doesn't seem like a big failure yet. But the truth is, it is a huge failure to Paul and Barnabas and to the church in which he promised, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow through on this. I'm going to, I'm going to hold to the end. But John Mark didn't. Now, we don't have any idea why John Mark left. We have no idea. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't give us any details. It just says he left and he went back to his comfortable life in Jerusalem, which is the life that he knew. He was a Hebrew. He was Jewish. And so Jerusalem was comfort. And so he left this difficult task, this missionary journey, and these guys have already faced some pretty tough stuff. And John Mark, for whatever reason, decides, I'm out. And he goes back home to Jerusalem. Now, again, this may not seem like a big mistake, but it is, and you're going to find out how big of a mistake this is here in a little bit and how big this is to Paul and Barnabas. But before we do that, I want to make my first point. There's only three points today. The first point is a really important one about failure. And it's so, hopefully one that is encouraging, but we need to talk about a couple of truths from this. And the point is this, that God called you and I, every one of us, if you're a follower of Christ, God called you and I to be one thing, not two. And that is this, God called us to be faithful, not flawless. God called you to be faithful, not perfect. But the truth is that when you look at the people in God's word in the Bible, right? That if you would, in fact, just do this for me. Think of somebody that you've heard of in the Bible, all right? One of the first ones that might come up is Jesus. Well, that's a great example, but he was perfect, all right? So let's, let's go past, okay, you thought of Jesus. Good job. Think about somebody else in the Bible. My guess is almost anybody that you would think of if we turned and looked at their story, my guess is you would probably find that in, in their story, recorded in God's word, is their failure or several of their failures. Think about Moses. He was a big time failure. When, remember when God called him to go free the Israelites from Egypt? Do you remember what Moses said? Uh, no. And then God pushed him and Moses said, uh, no. And then God pushed him again, and Moses said, uh, no. God, he didn't just say no. He gave excuses. God, I can't speak well. God, I don't know what I'm doing. God, who are you? God, I don't know what to call you. What, what if they ask me this question? I don't know if I can answer that question. Right? And Moses gave every excuse in the book, and he says, I'm not capable. I don't have the capacity to speak to Pharaoh. And God says, yes, you do. Moses was a huge failure, at least in his eyes. But God used Moses, this huge failure. And by the way, that was not the only failure in Moses' life. Read his story. Moses failed a lot. <laughs> he messed up a big, a lot of times. But God used Moses to free an entire nation of people, a million people from slavery in Egypt. God used a failure in a great way. Why? Because Moses wasn't flawless, but he was faithful. Think about David. God chooses David. He literally handpicks David from all the people he could have picked. And God chooses David to be the king of Israel. And then what does David do once he has the power and the wealth and the position of king of Israel? You know what he does? You would think that he would honor God and do all that stuff. And he tried to, but he made these huge 
mistake, this huge failure. He goes and he decides that he's going to seduce this woman and have an affair with somebody. Yeah, the guy that God chose to be the king of Israel, handpicked him, goes and has an affair. And then, in order to cover up his sin, he commits murder. That's, a, that's, that's not a good day. And so he goes in and, and God confronts David. And David does what we all should do when we're confronted in our failure. He repents of it. He turns from it and he realizes he was wrong. And God does great things through David, doesn't he? David is known as a hero. Why? Is it, is it because David was perfect? <laughs> no, it's because he was faithful. One more example, Peter. You guys remember Peter, right? He's, he's one of the disciples that Jesus handpicked as well. He really is considered the leader of the 12 disciples. Peter is one of those guys, but he was also one of those guys that he was impulsive. Do you guys know anybody that's impulsive? Who tends to say the wrong thing at the wrong time? Like every time? Yeah, that was Peter. <laughs> Peter was impulsive. He was prideful. He said the wrong thing at the wrong time, almost all, I mean, just all the time. In fact, we know this. He's famous for this. There was one point that Jesus was talking and, and Peter interrupts him and says something that was so sinful. Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> oh, that was good. That's a, that's a rough day right there. When Jesus calls you Satan, <laughs> that's a failure day right there. Peter was not perfect. He was not flawless, but he was faithful. And Jesus tells Peter, on this rock, on your foundation, on your faithfulness, I will build my church. So the truth is, what's the point here? The point is this. Remember the coin? There are two sides to this coin of faithful but not flawless. And you're not going to like this part, but I need to call it out. There are two groups of people here today. Some of us, when I say faithful, not flawless, immediately we go, oh yeah, license to sin because God loves me. <laughs> am I right or am I right? There are some people that they do whatever they want and they're like, woo, living up Labor Day weekend because God loves me, he'll forgive me on Tuesday. Right? We see, we hear this phrase, faithful, not flawless. You're like, amen, preach it, brother. Let's go live it up. Because God loves us and he hasn't called us to be perfect, so I can do what I want. Not quite right. Right? Some of us see it from that side of the coin. We see failure as simply totally fine. God loves me no matter what. And that's true. He will love you no matter what, but he also calls you to better. And so the question I have for those of us in here that tend to see it from that side of the coin, my question is, are you being faithful? You don't need to be flawless, but you do need to be faithful. For those of us maybe on the other side of the coin, you guys already know where I'm going. Some of you believe that perfection is your ticket to heaven. Oh yeah, I went there. A lot of people think if they hit church 52 Sundays out of the year, they're good. They wouldn't say that, but that's how they think. 
Your perfection, your flawlessness is not your ticket to heaven. The fact that you've given your life to Jesus is. And that when you fail, he is there to forgive you and pick you up. That's the truth. And so my question for you today, for those of us maybe from that side of the coin, is are you trying to get into heaven by being perfect? Stop. Be faithful. Yes, we shouldn't try to sin. It's not a license to do what we want. But neither is it that God is saying, if you mess up, sorry you lost your ticket. It's neither of those extremes. We are called to be faithful, but not flawless. Well, let's go on to the next part of the story. So John Mark has this big failure. He, he deserts his guys that, that he promised to be there for. He promised in front of God to do this. And so he takes off. He deserts them. Now, again, you might be sitting here going, man, you are harping on John Mark for leaving these guys. It doesn't seem like a big deal. Well, let me go to the next point. We have to go a couple chapters in. And so Paul and Barnabas, they finished their missionary journey without John Mark. They were able to finish. Great things happen. They plant tons of churches. People come to Christ in multitudes. Amazing things happen. And so Paul and Barnabas end up back at their local church. And so they're there, probably on a Sunday at a village center, I'm sure, with wireless mics, right? Sharing with their congregation of all that God is doing, right? And I'm sure Northridge Fest is in the next weekend, right? But whatever, they're there, they're giving, uh, basically they're telling an update of all that God is doing through their lives and how they sent them out and how powerful it is. And then Paul realizes, okay, it's time to go back out on the next journey. We need to go back to all those places and encourage the believers and reach new people for Christ. We can't be sitting at our church here. We need to go out and get, get some more work done. And so I want to read what happens when Paul and Barnabas are ready to go be sent out again. Acts chapter 15, starting with verse 36. After some time, again, at their local church, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord. In other words, let's do another missionary journey to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is where it goes bad. But Paul disagreed strongly. He didn't just disagree. He disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them, that's a stronger word than left, deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. I want you to take note of that word, they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, a different guy, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. So remember what I said, God, when he puts people in the, in the Bible, he does not sugarcoat it. He shows us all the good and all the bad. And so God does not hide the fact that Paul and Barnabas, two faithful followers of Christ who planted multiple churches, have now just gotten into a heated argument, and it was so bad that they ended up splitting ways, and we never hear about Barnabas again in God's word. We never hear from Barnabas at this point again. That's how bad the separation was. In fact, let me, let me take it to another level. Okay? There's, there's a Greek word that we use that we, kinda, that, we, that we translate into the word separation or that they separated. 
And so separated, we kind of know what that means. It means that they're apart, right? It, it separates them, but it doesn't really quite catch the gravity of what the Greek word is supposed to try to say. It literally translates to the word severed, literally chopped and separated in half. Okay, in fact, let me, let me take it one step further than that. This word, the, the Greek word is apokorizo, apokorizo, okay? That's the Greek word that we translate into the word separate. The problem is our word separate is too tame. There's only one other time that this Greek word is written in the entire Bible. You know where it is found? It's found in a fairly intense book called Revelation. It's the only other time this word shows up. It's in this thing with talking about when they separated over John Mark. And then the only other time it shows up is in Revelation. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about when the sky is rent or severed or literally rolled back at the end of the world. This word is used to describe what happens at the end of the world when the sky is torn apart. That's the same word that they use to describe what happened to Paul and Barnabas. This was no like, crying over spilled milk kind of a thing. This is a big deal. It's a huge failure on John Mark's part, but it was a huge failure on Paul and Barnabas and that they could not get past their pride. Paul could not forgive him. Barnabas would not see the point that John Mark could not be trusted. Don't you see both sides of that coin? They all had a point and they could not come to terms on this. And it brings up the second point that I want to make today, and that is that failure brings barriers. Failure brings barriers in our life. There's no way around it. The truth is that failure brings barriers and puts barriers in our life. Now, there are two main barriers. You already know this, but one of the main barriers are other people. Have you ever had people in your life who were kind of a barrier to you? <laughs> I bet you have. Anybody who's ever been like a thorn in your side? Or, or do you, are people like always roses and rainbows to you? You need to tell me how to live then because I have not experienced that with every person. Other people are barriers. And you know what the other significant barrier is? Yourself. When it comes to failure, our own shame and guilt. And I want to talk about that for just a moment because it's kind of a big deal. But first I want to tell you a story. There's another story of a, of a woman, a young woman, who only knew failure in her life growing up. It's kind of like Albert Einstein. She only knew failure. And some of this failure was because of who she was, but a lot of this failure was brought on by other people. For example, growing up as a young girl, she was molested by several members of her family. Not one, but many of them growing up. As a result, she ran away from home at the age of 13. She just had to get out. Her situation was so bad, she ran away from home. Despite all of that, and really as a really quite a miracle in her life, she was able to graduate high school and then even got into college in the midst of all that. And so she goes to college, she, she graduates, but there's a whole lot of stuff that she has to deal with in there, a lot of failure, but she is, ends up making it through. And then she ends up, in Baltimore, the city of Baltimore. And because of the, the kind of the realm that she was going into, she gets a job as a news anchor at one of the local TV stations there in Baltimore. And so she gets this, this job and she thinks it's going to lead to her career. But then soon after she gets this job, not very long in, she gets fired by the producer. 
And the producer tells her, this is the reason, this is a direct quote, you are unfit for television. That was, that was the quote that was given to her by this producer. Now you're curious who this is, aren't you? You already know the ball is about to drop. You know who this is? Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. By the way, that producer, <laughs> I, 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 don't know if she, I, don't, I don't know if she's ever met that person ever again, but I'm pretty sure she's done a little bit better than that person. By the way, Unfit for Television is hilarious. She has her own channel now. She's done okay. The truth is that sometimes the biggest barriers in life are going to come from other people. And it's going to be maybe because we failed and they're going to keep us pushing us down because they like to see us fail and they want to squish us into the ground. Sometimes they just don't want to see us succeed. Sometimes it just makes them feel better, kind of like the people in Oprah Winfrey's life. But she was able to persevere through her failures and obviously has seen some great impact. Other times, though, the barrier is ourself. And I'm going to spend a moment on this. Abraham Lincoln was one of those guys. <clears throat> He's known as the President of the United States, like Honest Abe. He did all this great stuff, 1800, Civil War, all the great speeches. I mean, we revere and honor this guy all the time as one of the greatest presidents of the United States. But what a lot of people don't know is that Abraham Lincoln, as he sought political office in Illinois and in other places, he failed miserably again and again and again and again and again. He tried to get votes and he couldn't get votes. Tried to win, couldn't do that. Tried to be a representative, nope, didn't make it. Tried to be a senator, couldn't make it. He had some success in, in, kind of and sprinkled in there, but he was mostly failure. And my guess is, if you le le learn about Abraham Lincoln, there was some self-doubt, there were some issues, there was definitely some problems where he felt like, is this something that I should even be doing? Let me just ask you, do you ever question yourself and who you are? My guess is you probably don't admit it. Like, you wouldn't say here and be like, all right, raise, raise your hand. Yes, pastor, I do. I question myself all the time. Right? We don't, we don't like that. We're not going to out ourselves like that. But my guess is in the privacy of your own thoughts and your own emotions, your failures sometimes haunt you, don't they? And so again, two sides of the same coin. There are a couple of different people in here today. For some of us, the truth is, for some of us, the past, we've given our life to Jesus and we've surrendered our failures to God. We've already, we've already done that. But for some of us, we've never given our life to Jesus. Maybe we're on the other side of the coin. And I want to read for you Romans 8, 1 and 2. It says this, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. By the way, those of us in here, if you don't belong to Christ Jesus, this actually doesn't apply to you because you've never given your life to him. I know that's a harsh thing to say, but it's the truth. It's not that it hasn't been offered to you. It has freely give, been given to you. You just haven't accepted it. 
It says, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In other words, what this is saying is, there is freedom that is offered to you from your failures. You don't have to worry about your failures. You don't have to worry about the shame. You don't have to worry about the guilt. All those things that you messed up in, all the sin that you committed, that you've done, and how you've gone against God, and maybe you've wronged other people, you don't have to live with the shame and guilt of that. Jesus is willing. He already has done all that is necessary to take that away from you. All you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I want to be cleansed from it. I want to be free from the shame and the guilt. And what I find is that as I talk to people, they come and maybe ask me a question about something going on in their life. And what we find a lot of times is that what they're really struggling with is shame and guilt from their past. A lot of times they're carrying it and they had no idea they were carrying it around. They didn't realize that they'd never dealt with it. Some of you are just clamoring to come meet with me now, aren't you? The truth is that we carry our failures a lot heavier than what we realize. And what Jesus says to you is, I love you. You don't need to carry it. I died on the cross for you and for your failures. You can give them to me. I'll take them. You don't need to let them define you. Are your failures a part of you? Absolutely. Should they define you? Never. And so, these two sides of the coin, my question is, have you given your life to Jesus? If you have never given your life to Christ, let me encourage you to do it. But those of us in here, maybe some of us in here, we've given our life to Jesus, but we're still living as though we're living under condemnation. We we, we don't believe that verse that I just read that Jesus says, no, if you have accepted Jesus, your sins are forgiven, you're good. Some of you are still living under condemnation, but it's not God. You're condemning yourself. Will you allow yourself to be free? So, The question becomes, how does John Mark's story end? We don't know much about John Mark. We know he failed. We know Paul and Barnabas had an argument about him. And guess what? We only learn one more thing about him. (laughs) Literally, that's it. That's all we know from the entire Bible. The good thing is, his story ends well. It's a good ending to the story. So fast forward, Paul and Barnabas, at some point, we believe that they reconciled. We don't know. We never hear about what happens between Paul and Barnabas. But what we do know is that Paul and John Mark do reconcile. We know that they do. We know that John Mark made good on his failure and changed who he was. He became a committed person. And we know that Paul recognized it because in one of his letters, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to this guy named Timothy. And in there, I want to read what he writes in 2 Timothy. It's actually his second letter to Timothy. 4.11, he says this. He says, bring Mark, that's John Mark. Remember, he has two names. Bring John Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. That's all we hear. 
But what is clear is that Paul has gone. Remember, this is the same guy who argued with his great buddy and the guy who stood up for him, Barnabas, and said, no, we are not taking John Mark. He cannot be trusted. And now we go so far, several years later, where Paul says, bring John Mark with you. He's going to be very helpful in our ministry. They were reconciled. And it brings up the third point that I want to make, and it's really maybe the most practical and the one that we really need to sink into. And that is that failure brings growth. Failure brings growth. You guys have heard of Thomas Edison? I've thrown a lot of biographies at you today. Remember, I was a history teacher, so you guys can deal with it. It's fine. Thomas Edison was the inventor of the light bulb. He didn't actually invent the light bulb. He invented the type of light bulb that was commercially sellable so that everybody could actually do it. The light bulb had already been invented. A lot of people think he invented the light bulb. He didn't. He invented a version of the light bulb that was viable for everybody to buy and to use on a regular basis in houses and homes and businesses and all that kind of stuff. So Thomas Edison did that, but what a lot of other people probably have heard is that he tried at least a thousand times, if not more, to make a light bulb, and he failed every time in in his quest to make a viable light bulb. And a reporter once asked Thomas Edison, "Well, well, how did you persevere? How did you get through all those major failures every time? I mean, you tried over a thousand times to make this light bulb, and you failed every time. How did you do it? And Thomas Edison, his response to the reporter was this. Well, I didn't really fail. I just found one more way not to make a light bulb. In other words, failure can bring growth. It's not that we should try to fail. It's that we shoot for, for, for perfection. It's that we shoot for the right goal, but we're not always going to attain it. And failure sometimes brings growth. In fact, let me read to you what 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says. It says, if we claim we have no sin, that we never fail, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But, remember what I've said about that word? When it says that, it's saying this connects to this, right? But if we confess our sins to him, to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. In other words, we learn from our failures and we give them back to God and we turn from them. It's not that we keep sinning, right? It's not that we go, God, man, I really messed up there. Would you please forgive me? Thank you. That's awesome. And then next week we're like, woo, messed up again, God. Same thing. Sorry. Must be kind of the way that I am, I guess. Okay. And then next week, whoop, (laughs) what do you know? God, sorry, again, you're still good, right? You still love me? No, we got to learn from our mistakes. we got to grow in our failures. In fact, let me give you one more quote. We're going to end with this. John Wooden once said, failure isn't fatal, but failure to change might be. That one stings a bit, doesn't it? That one just kind of hits home. The truth is that God has not called you to be flawless because he knows you can't. But he does ask us to shoot for it. 
In fact, there's an actual verse. Some of you are probably thinking of it right now, and you're like, Pastor, you're theologically wrong because there's a verse that says, be perfect as my Father is perfect. You probably, you want to quote that verse to me, don't you? Absolutely. There is. But God even knows. He would not call us to something that he knows we can't hit other than the fact that he knows that perfection is not the key. It's what we shoot for, but it's the faithfulness in trying to get there is the power. See, failure is not fatal, but failure to change is. So my question to you is, what needs to change? Some of us in here, we're living with the failures in our past and we're allowing them to affect us. You're allowing to hold you down, to define who you are. Let me encourage you to give that to God. Some of us in here, we think that God, the fact that God loves you is a license to do what you want. And you, it doesn't matter if you sin because God loves you anyway. Let me just tell you, he calls you to be faithful, which means to live for him and to repent of our sin. But more than anything, let me tell you that God loves you. And no matter what your failures are or have been, or maybe you're in the midst of one right now, God will always love you. And he always offers forgiveness for you. And we can do great things if we simply learn from our mistakes and move forward. Let's pray.